Hi, I'm Dr. James Ahrens, the ADHD author and veterinarian. Welcome to Podcast 36, A New Sideline. I was smitten by this new woman in my life. Besides being pretty, Susan was keenly interested in my veterinary lifestyle. Her magnetism pulled me into an unthinking blissful bubble. My insecurities heightened her appeal. Susan became my new sidekick. My supercharged mind released tons of endorphins, deepening my ADHD hyperfocus. My brain surged with warm and fuzzy magic molecules. And during this happy fuzzy period, I conveniently forgot my marriage vows. While Mary was taking care of the family and the ostriches, and managing the practice's financial matters, she had less time for me. And in my immaturity, I saw this as a failure on her part. In my mind, I replaced Susan for Mary as my wife focused on raising our kids. She was taking care of family. I felt neglected. It became much easier to follow my new rainbow. Just went behind the clouds again Through crowded streets he walks alone He's a stranger out of place A clown without a face And all day long All day long that it feels he can't explain Sunday, Monday, Tuesday they're all the same He's lost and all alone A heart without a hope Standing like a statue in the rain And he's feeling like Chapter 46. A New Sideline. Three weeks after my birthday, I spent three days in Susan's neighborhood to attend to ostrich calls. 
I brought an extra surgery kit along because Susan needed her cat spayed. I anesthetized the cat and laid out my supplies on a table and strapped it down. I shaved and surgically prepped the thing. Susan observed. Using my knife to cut open the abdomen, I fished out the ovaries and uterine horn, sutured the bleeding stumps, closed and showed her how I suture muscle. On the final layer, I helped her don sterile gloves to place a few skin sutures herself. Being an OBGYN nurse, she appeared comfortable throwing suture and caught on quickly. After surgery, we saddled up her horses for a ride to town to a local restaurant with a hitching post in front. She treated me to Corona beers with salsa and chips. Realizing the day was getting away from us, we hurried back. We had ostrich calls to go on. Driving 45 minutes to a small farm owned by a young financial woozit in Agora Hills, I evaluated this fellow's flock of emu, a smaller relative of the ostrich. He wanted my opinion as further proof to his investors these birds were top-notch. That meant we had to catch each bird to have a hands-on exam. Emus are not as big or as dangerous as ostriches. They are about a third of the size of an ostrich and are usually less aggressive. Catching emus was not as deadly as negotiating with an ostrich. This game was a mixture of dodgeball and mutton busting. We announced the beginning of the match when we entered the pen. The move caused all the birds to run to one corner of the enclosure. Our second offensive move was to crouch down like quiet chimpanzees to effect a calm approach. Over time, we were able to corral and grab each fleeing bird by tackling it, so that I could perform the pre-purchase exam. It was late afternoon when we visited the next client, a family of beekeepers. They were expanding into other areas, deciding raising ostriches was worth a try. I was hired to perform pre-breeding exams, drawing blood, and performing cloacal swabs. We collected our samples and headed out to meet one more client. Susan's friend Steve jumped feet first into the ostrich craze as well as creating an investment group to get started on the new fad. He had an excellent physical infrastructure set up, but was weak in basic medical knowledge. Steve had a stud ostrich rooster called Stumpy, who needed to have a blood test, which is why I was there. Shortly after arriving at Steve's place, Susan announced she needed to go to the restroom. Steve and I went back to talk about Stumpy. Steve needed an all-clear health test for Stumpy to show his investors he was on the ball. Stumpy was a badass ostrich, with high levels of testosterone. The first time I went up to his paddock, he came running up to challenge me over the fence. Returning to my truck, I put a syringe and blood vial in my pocket and told Steve I was ready to go. I also placed a sizable surgical gauze sleeve on my left hand. The gauze stretched from my fingertips to my elbow. I intended to use the bandage as a hood to place over Stumpy's head. Finally, I pulled my crook stick from the truck. The stick is a one-half inch thick, six-foot-long aluminum rod, bent inwards at one end in a half circle like a shepherd's staff. It allowed me to catch the ostrich from a safe distance by his long neck. Once hooked, I could immediately pull the bird's head sideways or down, causing the bird to become unbalanced so I could manipulate the big bird safely by guiding it with the rod. I would grab the head when it was safe, keeping it low and near the ground so that the bird wouldn't kick, and jam the stocking net over its head to cover the eyes. That essentially rendered the bird useless. The ostrich would freeze into immobility as soon as the hood covered its eyes. Loss of vision created a kind of paralysis. For most birds this worked great, but Stumpy was different. Stymied for just a minute, he quickly regained his senses and came back to life unexpectedly. 
Steve, I'm going to need more help here, I hollered. The bird kept lurching forward and continued to kick in front of him. Suddenly, Stumpy raked me across my left wrist with his big claw. Steve, he's fighting me. Help me hold him in the corner. Steve came up behind the bird and grabbed the wings and the torso, sort of bear-hugging him from behind, in a clumsy kind of way. Stumpy continued to protest his hood and continued to use his legs as weapons by kicking in the air. This is way too much stress. Just give me my desk job back, Steve was seriously complaining. Hold the goddamn bird another few minutes. What do you need? Susan came out of the house quickly, entering the pen. Hold his wing up, Sue, I said. She did exactly what I needed. An excellent job, I thought. When we finished our blood draw, I made sure the three of us were behind Stumpy, pulled the hood off his head, and pushed him forward as we quickly left the pen. You're bleeding, Jim, Susan said. I looked at the bloody cut on my left wrist. It was deep. You're going to have to suture this for me, I told her. I went to my vet truck and gathered up suture needles, suture string, and lidocaine local anesthetic. Let's go in the house. I washed the cut and injected the lidocaine around the wound edges to deaden the pain of the suture repair. I talked to Susan as she worked the suture instruments. She took her time, gaining confidence with each throw. Soon, the suturing was done, and I bandaged my wound. One month after my birthday, Susan loaded her horses and drove over from Aguadulce. These were the same two horses we rode to town. She also brought her hunting dog. He was limping because of a buckshot around his elbow. I offered to dig the shot out while she was visiting. Before heading off to work, we saddled the horses and I showed her trails behind the house. After the ride, we went on a call to Thistledown Farms, where I taught her how to read a mare in heat, helping her as she put on a long sterile plastic sleeve to explore the mare's vagina. The horse was going to be bred by artificial insemination, and I helped Susan locate the cervix, showed her how to manipulate the plastic pipette through the cervix, and helped her squirt a load of semen into the uterus. We went for another early morning ride through the chaparral-covered hills the next morning, then brought Susan's dog into the office for x-rays and surgery to remove the buckshot affecting his elbow. When we returned to Shadowmere, Mary took Susan aside and asked her to leave. Mary told Susan I was talking to someone, and it wasn't to her. She said she could not stand by and watch her marriage fall apart. Susan was unruffled and told Mary she needed to get a life. Then Susan loaded her horses and her dog and went back to Aguadulce. Many times Mary asked me if I was having an affair, and I always told her no. Two weeks later, I drove to Susan's place for more ostrich work. One of the clients had seen a young chick swallow a clothespin. I arranged to use the surgery room at a local veterinary office so we could do the surgery in a sterile environment. Susan was comfortable assisting in the procedure. I used her as an anesthesiologist. The birds were put under anesthesia by inhaling a gas called isoflurane and maintained on this gas throughout the entire process. Because the gas could build up to dangerous levels, I needed Susan to monitor the effect of the anesthesia on the bird by keeping track of the heart rate. As the bird sank deeper into anesthesia, its heart rate slowed. That was the signal to lighten the isoflurane concentration or remove the bird entirely from the effects of the gas. Susan was comfortable and adept at the heart rate monitoring and dose adjustment. We evaluated another chick during the same trip. It stopped showing healthy weight changes. After an ostrich chick hatches out, it loses weight every day for five days because it is living off the nutrients in the yolk sac. By day five, the baby should be starting to eat food from the environment and should show a weight gain every day after that. 
This chick was not showing any weight gain by seven days of age. I placed my stethoscope on the little chest. I could hear crackles. The bird had pneumonia. A stethoscope is much more than a badge of honor doctors and nurses wear around their necks as they go on their hospital rounds. It is an essential medical tool, allowing the physician to listen to the patient's heart and lungs. In this case, I needed to assess the lung pathology of this bird. When a person or animal has an average breathing cycle, there is a phase of inspiration, the air drawn into the lungs. The air escapes out of the body when the patient exhales. Both inspiratory and expiratory phases of normal breathing elicit a soft rustling effect, much like the sound of a soft wind rustling through a field of dried corn. When bad things happen to the lungs, they become compromised. The average lung sounds change into harsh wheezes or crackles when the patient exhales the air from the lung fields, indicating severe lung pathology. The lung fields can become compromised because of heart failure, bleeding, or infection such as pneumonia. There is too much field surrounding the opened air sacs. I heard crackles in this bird, suspected pneumonia, and gave it an antibiotic after swabbing its windpipe for a bacterial culture to send off to the lab. End of chapter. I'm playing this next song for Stumpy, the badass male ostrich that attacked me. He was born in Oklahoma and his mother Betty Lou Thelma lives but he ain't responsible for what he's doing there's a sight where his mother made the poor boy blowing up what he is and it's up against the wall, you redneck mothers. Mothers who have raised your boy so well. He's 34, drinking in a honky-tonk. Kicking hippies' asses and raising hell. Well, he sure likes to drink that good old cold cursed beer. Chase it down, Jose Cuervo tequila. He drives a 1957 International Harvester pickup truck with a gun rack and an eye for Nixon sticker. I am not a crook. It's up against the wall, you redneck mothers. Mothers who have raised the boys so well. He's 34 and drinking in a honky tonk. Kicking hip his asses and raising hell. Smell it, Joe.
him is for the mud flaps that you give me for my pickover truck. And why O is for the oil that Richard used to use on his hair, but that was a long time ago. T is for uh, Dolly Parton. How about that? H is for Haggard. E is for eczema. And R is for... Up against the wall, your redneck mother. Sing it out! Thank you for listening. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site Spotify. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com.